Good morning. Glad you're here. If anybody can remember what the sun looked like, please tell me because I forget. We hope it'll shine soon. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're a visitor here or guest today, we are in four weeks of dealing with kingdomnomics, God's economy, the way he looks at money, deals with money in our lives is different than the world system. And I, my, my, I hope nobody in these four weeks feels threatened or guilty or uh, um, um, is feels manipulated. You know, I don't want that. You know, as in all other subjects, we are just growing. That's what we're doing, and even in this area of financial responsibility. By the way, at 8.32 last night, Judah Matthew Proctor was born. And so we're glad that Rebecca and Luke have a baby. Everything is well, and Luke uh, texted me earlier this morning and said he is eating and pooping like an elephant. So... uh, so that's good news, and uh, Luke will be joining uh, me in preaching uh, when you get to our Christmas series on uh, November 26th. So uh, please uh, pray for them as they get adjusted. You remember those days, that first kid? Ah, okay, God bless them. All right, we're in Matthew 25, Matthew 25 today. I suppose if I asked a general population what the most a familiar parable Jesus ever told was, for those who are familiar with Jesus' ministry, they probably say the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, Luke and Tim and I will be preaching that as a series later next year in 2018. If I ask church leaders and preachers what the most practical, uh, the most practical parable is, they probably say this one. The parable as we have once known it, the parable of the talents. Different versions have been written and more updated versions would say it better. It can be called the parable of the servants or the parable of the bags of gold, as our text calls it today. You get the idea anyway. Before I get into it, it's all about, this parable is all about how you take whatever God's given you, and money, talents, time, opportunities, abilities, whatever it is, And God can transform whatever you have and whoever you are into something more brilliant that surpasses you. That's how God operates in every aspect of life. Let me tell you about Martha Berry. Martha Berry uh, lived in the the turn of the century into the uh, 1900s. She lived in northern Georgia. And she had a burden for children who didn't have opportunities for education and training. And so, uh, she did, not having any resources or books or money, uh, she began meeting with a small group of kids in an abandoned church building in Possum Trot, Georgia. She taught Sunday school to them on Sunday morning, and then the class grew, and they wanted to meet more, and so it became a daily class. And then she started having boarders. She boarded uh, five boys. And her dream kept just gnawing away at her. She had a a real burden to educate these children who would have no future. So eventually, she made a trip. She drove up to Detroit, Michigan, and she approached Henry Ford, and she asked him for a million dollars. Well, by this time, Henry Ford was weary of being hit up for money. He was a millionaire, multimillionaire by that time. And so he reached into his pocket And he said, I'll give you what's in my pocket. It was a dime. Martha Berry took the dime. She wasn't discouraged. She wasn't insulted. 
She didn't quit. She went back to Georgia, and she bought seeds to plant a peanut crop. The first year's harvest came in, and she took those, those, that harvest, and she planted more. And she kept doing it. And as she did, every year, she would write Henry Ford about what his dime was accomplishing. He became so intrigued that he finally made a trip to Georgia. And he was so impressed by Martha Berry and what she was doing, he gave her a million dollars. Now, Martha Berry died in 1942, but her dream lives on. You can travel today to near Rome, Georgia, and you can visit Berry College. It's a private college of some 1,700 students, four-year degrees they get, and Berry College boasts the largest campus in the world, 28,000 acres. Now, all because... A woman had a dream, and she was not daunted by what some would see as an insult. She took a dime and did something with it. It wasn't long ago that the Ford Foundation awarded Berry College $9.4 million. This is our text. It's the same principle that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. Verse 14 It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It all has to do with investment. That is, what am I doing with what God has given to me. I have to deal with that question. You have to deal with it as well. Now, there are no names given to the servants. I, I wanted to call them Tom, Dick, and Harry, but I was afraid I'd be called a sexist, so we'll call them Tom, Ruth, and Mary, okay? Uh, now, this master was not a socialist. You know, everything wasn't shared equally. If we were, if we were telling this story, we'd probably give three bags of gold to the first guy, three to the second, borrow one for the government, so the third one had a, th- had a third bag as well. So everybody is equal. Everybody. The life's not like that. 
You and I were created equal as far as our worth, intrinsic worth is the same. But we are not equal in abilities and gifts and uh, the, our, our earning power and all of that, that we're very different from each other. And that's okay. The text says that this master gave according to each one's abilities. That's why one got five bags, one got two, and one got one bag. And out of that, they were responsible not for what they didn't have, but they're responsible for what they were given. I don't know what they did with it, but pretend Tom, you know, was watching people go up 10 miles up the Jordan to find a shallow place to call across the river. And so he said, I think I'll open a ferry business. And so he builds rafts and he gets people across the Jordan River. And, and he doubles it in the time he's given. And one, two, two bags of gold, maybe, maybe, maybe Ruth buys a goat and she sells goat milk until that goat dies, by which time she has doubled what the goat originally was worth. Mary goes and buries it, doesn't do anything with, with what she was challenged to do. Now, each of us has been given resources. And as I said last week, we're all over the page. We have homeless people that are members of this congregation. I just took the man after last service, and he's going to have to leave town because no job, no way to pay rent, and he's got to go. And here he is in church worshiping. He even said to me in that conversation, but I'm going to continue to tithe. I was humbled by that conversation. We have lots of people on fixed incomes. We have wealthy people. And we have people who work at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. You know? We have people all over the page, right? The, the principles apply to everybody. I was talking to our Ghanaian brothers here today, Richard and Tim and, and uh, Sam Zobo. You'll, you'll see them on video a little bit later. But, you know, they, 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 they go to villages in Ghana, West Africa. And they were telling me this morning, the principle that you're preaching about works in Africa villages as well. You know, because it's God's teaching, it works. These four things. First of all, I own nothing. Now, that was the whole message last week, that we don't own anything. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, whatever we have, I said last week, I repeat it this week, belongs to God. So when I got up this morning, I woke up in God's bed. I went to the coffee. I went into the kitchen and made God's coffee, and I drank his coffee. And I sat in God's recliner, and I reviewed the sermon for today, and I prayed, and then I, I got ready using his water, his utilities, got in his car, drove to his building. You get the idea. Everything, into everything that I have ultimately belongs to him. I like what this man wrote. He said, I'll, get, I'll give you my take on the fluctuations of the stock market last week. Helium was up. Feathers were down. Paper was stationary. Knives were up sharply. Cows steered into a bull market. Pencils lost a few points. Hiking equipment was trailing. Elevators rose while escalators continued their downward slope. Light switches were off. Mining equipment hit rock bottom. Diapers remained unchanged. The, the market for raisins dried up. Coca-Cola fizzled. Caterpillar stock inched up a bit. Balloon prices were inflated. Bird's eyes, peas split. And Charmin tissue touched a new bottom. <laughs> now, what, what, all that to say, God owns the stock market. It'll fluctuate. It always does. It always will. Uh, but it's ultimately his not ours, and anything we make off of it. He owns everything. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, 
coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. We only manage what God has put in our hands. And so, in our language, our attitude, our mindset that says, I deserve this, or I worked for this, I earned this, is not appropriate language for the follower of Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep it out of our lingo. Deuteronomy 8 says, If you say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's all God's, not just 10% of it. It's all his. Second, I will be audited. I'll be audited. After a long time, it says, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, notice at the beginning of the text, it says, um, it is like, it is like. What's like? What's it? It's Matthew 25. Jesus is very near the crucifixion. And in this whole context, he's been talking about his second coming. When after his death and resurrection and exaltation, time will go by, but eventually he's going to come back in the clouds. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, that's what he's talking about. That that day is like this master who has gone away and he's coming back. Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's every aspect. There's a divine audit that's going to take place. You see, you can't, Jesus knows you can't fake wise money management. Now, as believers, <coughs> excuse me, we can fake our prayer life. We can fake our love for the Bible or whether we're even in it. We can appear like we're in it and not be, but we cannot fake wise money management because all anybody has to do is open our checkbooks, our checking accounts, or our credit card statements. And that tells a huge story. And so if Jesus sat down with you, what, what, what would you think? You know, it's a hassle to get audited. Just come up with all these documents, right? It's a hassle. But if, you, but if you're living wisely and with integrity, you don't have to worry about it. The people who worry about an audit are those who know they haven't done well in really reporting what they earn. So Tom and Ruth, they had no problem with this audit of the master. Mary was a little concerned about it, I'm sure. Third, I must see clearly. I must see clearly. Now, there are different versions of this. The one I was using at the time has Mary speaking 37 words in response to her master, master showing up. You ever notice when people are trying or squirming when you ask them a question, it takes them a lot of words to explain? You see, it takes a lot of words when you know you haven't really lived like you're supposed to. That people who live upright lives, short answers, you know, you can get right to the point. What we have to understand about Mary you know, here's, here's what happens. You know, she says, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground or your money in the ground. And she blamed non-action on her perception of the master. It was far different than the perception of Tom and Ruth. 
You see, our perception of God changes everything about how we view life and all the resources that we have. Mary evidently viewed God, or her master, as being cruel and overbearing, too demanding, expecting too much, maybe distant, remote, removed, unfair. After all, she only got one bag. Tom and Ruth got five and two. So maybe she had all kinds of charges, and we are so tempted to live the same way. God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted to. He answered his prayer. Why didn't he answer mine? She has a better life than I do, and look how she lives. She's an evil woman, and she keeps getting promoted. I try to live the right way, and I, it seems like I lose at every turn. And what happens is if you're not careful, you start thinking God is somehow after you. I've come up, to, with, come up against it all the time, even visiting people in the hospital. I don't know why God's doing this to me, but so the picture of God is he's after me. He's out to get me. If that's your perception of God, that he's a tyrant, that he is not fair, that he is not all that good or all that powerful or that loving, everything will be skewed in everything you look at in life. But if you know he's good, Tom and Ruth look at the master and they, they see him as a great businessman, a man that they want to honor well, somebody they want to serve well. Ruth doesn't get all ticked off to, about Tom having five bags and she only has two. She's just going to work with her too, whatever that is. She understands that. We're all very different. You know, we're, we are created equal as far as, as far as this intrinsic worth, but we're all very different in any, any other way. And so... <clears throat> Our challenge all the time is to keep knowing who God is and understanding him in his fullness. And that takes a lifetime. And when you know he's good, he's all-powerful, he hears you when you pray, we pray according to his will, we ask for his will, and what happens, happens. And we trust him, and nothing changes that. Do you have that kind of faith that's rock solid, that no matter what happens in your life, you know he is good? Now, how, what motivates that? Grace. You see, when we come to money and any other subject in the Bible, it's all about grace. If you leave grace out, you know, we'll, we'll always have stunted growth. But it, you can't really meet Jesus at the cross and keep maturing in him in his sacrifice and stay put. It, it motivates us to greater things, including the area of generosity. Zig Ziglar said, our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. You are the only person on earth who can use your ability. You're in charge of that. You're not in charge of anybody else. I'm not either, just me. Fourth, I want my master's praise. I want my master's praise. The master comes back, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So you imagine a reporting day. I mean, I can see Mary just kind of shuffling her sandals in the dirt you know, trying, getting ready to make some kind of explanation. And, and Tom and Ruth, you know, they're excited about all this. And, and when, when Mary gives a report, I mean, it's like, how, how, you blame me? You blame me for this because you failed? Take responsibility. And before he says you're lazy, he says you're wicked. We're not only lazy and lack faith, when we don't use God's resources, handle them well, God says we're wicked. It's a sin against God. 
We don't have option. Because, why? Because, why is it wicked? Because we're not reflecting the goodness of our master. That's why. That's why it's a wicked thing. Well, here's two things to challenge you with as I close. First, regarding God's challenge, don't join, don't isolate. Join, don't isolate. You know, you aren't in this alone. We're all, you know, do you think I got this figured out? I do not have this figured out, friends. I do not want Jesus to look at my checkbook this month or my credit card statement. I know. You know, Diane and I were looking at our, in our bank account <clears throat> a couple weeks ago. We wanted to look. We were looking at other things. We wanted to look at utilities and bless, a bunch of stuff. And, I, and she said, Psh. she said, she said, I saw a lot of fast food on there. Do you know I added up $192? Who whistled? <laughs> that offends me. I want you to know that offends me. I had no idea. You know, if I don't, I, 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 you know, I'll quickly go through some. Now, some of that was taking the grandkids or something, but, but too much of it was just me not planning the day, and I'm in a hurry. I'll just, I'll just go right through. $192 in fast food? cancer that's killing me, right? That's just one expenditure of one month. You think, I'm telling you this embarrassingly because I want you to know I wrestle too. I'm part of it, and I, I, I'm not using God's, oh, I've said it now, I can't be seen in a drive through this week, can I? <laughs> I hate exposing myself, but you call me on. Yeah, I saw your Wendy's yesterday. Okay. <laughs> now, now, so, so you know, we're, we're working it out, right? But it's given me a challenge. It's challenged me to, to how I'm going to better handle that $192. What would that do in the world, right? What would that do? What would Mary Bar Martha Berry do with that? Jeez. Um, let me say this, too. I know we live in an age. How many of you have heard somebody say to you, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in organized religion. Oh, man, we all hear it, Right? It sounds so spiritual, but it's unbiblical. In the Old Testament, when the Jews gave their tithes and offerings, they gave it to the temple, and then it was meted out as according to God's purposes. That system did not change in the New Testament. When the church was established, the money went to the apostles, and the apostles, under the authority of God, had to be accountable to how they used those funds to plant churches. Now, I know I grew up in church. I knew I have something in my favor because I had godly parents who taught me this. But Diana and I both taught, were taught this way, and we practiced it, that our first tithes and offerings go to the local church. Why? Because you are our family. This is where we get fed. This is where our grandchildren are being raised up in the Lord. This is where I'm inspired for life. This is where I serve with other people for the kingdom of God. This is God's clearinghouse for doing his work in the world. If, if I give, you know, if I give my money, I, I told you last week, I look at that, like, what can that do? But put with your money, man, look what we're able to do in the world when we join together. 
And so that's what we do. We give our tithes and offerings first to the local church. And then beyond that, we have other passions we give to, but we give to things that make a difference in eternity. There are a lot of good causes. And I'm just speaking my opinion right now. There are a lot of good causes to give to. We choose to give to those things where we can know what's happening, where it goes. We go to stores and where you give a dollar to this dollar. So, you know, I'm not against that. It's just not what I do because I don't really know what that dollar's doing. I don't have any accountability. I don't have an involvement with it. I don't, it's a good cause. It's just I want my money to be directed to something that's going to people heaven. And so that's why I, I give to things that I can know about, learn about, hear testimonies about, and I find there's great joy in that. That's what, I, that's what we do. And I think that's a good practice for, for us as we use the funds of God. Tithes and offerings first of the church and the local church, and then beyond that to the other passions that we have. I, I think it's a good strategy. Accountability is built in. So Eugene Peterson translates the master's words, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. That's what I, we are with you. You know, Diana and I are partners with you in the greatest work in the world. Verse 16, by the way, says, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work. Win at once. You know what I wanted to do today? Pass out shovels. Well, some of you go need to go dig up some stuff and start putting it to work. Whether it's money, your time, your influence, your energy. Because the first thing, I, the second thing I want to take with you, I want you to take with you is this: regarding God's resources, circulate, don't hoard. What you got buried? What's buried in your backyard? You got riches buried somewhere. You actually have money that you're hoarding that you need to dig up and you need to invest that in something that's going to outlive you. What about your time and service? In what way do you minister in the name of the Lord to people for the kingdom's sake? There's some of you here today that need to dig up some time out of your life. You need to dig up some conversations in your life to have with people who are unbelievers who are not going to heaven. And they need your testimony and your interest in them for eternity's sake. You see that? Anybody need a shovel today? be a good thing for a lot of us to have. Well, Tom and Ruth had to spend money before they got a return. You don't wait till God blesses and then God, if you bless me, you can be sure I'm going to give. I've tried that one, friends. It doesn't work. God, you make me rich. I'll give you more. No. We give right from where we are out of what we have and we circulate until we die. We'll probably be retired, all of us, right? I'm going to retire someday, not from serving the Lord, I'll retire from here being a preacher, but I'm not going to retire from serving the Lord. That's a, that's a foreign concept to people who are kingdom people, you know? It's still time to invest. Circulate what you have. In 96, Billy Graham was, was blessed with the Congressional Gold Medal. And when Diane Sawyer was interviewing him, he said, I, ha I am humbled by this award but the only recognition I'm looking forward to is when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, my greatest reward will be to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't think there's anybody here today that doesn't want to hear that, right? We all want to hear that. You know the key to that? Here's the key. You live that way today. You live today in every conversation, in every interaction we have, in our prayers, the way we treat our spouses, the way we're involved with our kids, grandkids, the way we meet people in public, stores, 
our smiles, the people, the way we interact, all that, so that when we lay our heads down tonight, our pillows, you know, we would know Jesus would say to us, good day today. You are a good and faithful servant. I watched you today. You know, if we can live that way every day and tomorrow, we get up, we say the same prayer. God, help me to live today so that when I lay my head tonight, down tonight, you'll say, good job, good and faithful servant. If you can do that every day, you have to worry about the audit coming at the end of our lives. Today is what we have. We know, have no promise of tomorrow, but we do have today. And you know what? If every day up till this day, he would have said to you, you're a lousy servant today. You know the good news is? If today you turn that and say, today I'm gonna start living that way, God will meet you right there because he's not gonna base you, base his, his forgiveness and grace on your past, but on your present. Where are you with him? If you have not been born again in Jesus Christ, you need to take care of that. And lay your life down and give your life away to someone, the only one qualified, to multiply your life in ways that you could never do by yourself. God bless us all as we live for him. Let's stand and worship.